Buddhist Geeks. Seriously Buddhist. Seriously Geeky. Episode 55. Otto, Zepto, and Yakto, the Buddhist Marx Brothers. This week on Buddhist Geeks, we speak to Insight teacher Wes Nisker. We discuss the role of humor and enlightenment, as well as the way that the scientific vision has impacted and informed the teachings of the Buddha. This is part one of a two-part series. Do you love this show? Support Falling Fruit and advertise your product or service here. For more details, visit fallingfruit.tv slash sponsorship. Buddhist Geeks. I'm here today with my buddy and friend in the Dharma, Ryan Olke. Hello. And we're also here today with our special guest, Wes Nisker. He's an insight teacher, and you can find out more about him at westnisker.com. It's pretty cool that you're able to get your own domain name. I know that's a difficulty sometimes these days. I had to yeah, actually took, wait for mine. Took me a year or so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you, you got it, <laughs> and uh, I'm glad you could join us today. Yeah. Yeah, hello to everyone, to the geekers and <laughs> of, of the world. Nice. And a little bit more about Wes. He is an insight meditation teacher. You can often find him teaching at Spirit Rock Meditation Center, one of my favorite retreat centers. And he's also the co-founder of a biannual Vipassana journal called Inquiring Mind. And is also a comic. You're a professional comic. You do routines in San Francisco and often uh, use comic routines as a way to teach the dharma so that's definitely something we'll want to jump into and something i find really interesting yes yes humor we must have humor you know i think it's a real sign of enlightenment or at least a deep realization Hmm. nice (laughs) (laughs) great well actually i mean you know life life is an impossible condition you know it really is At, at bottom as the Buddha pointed out in his first noble truth. I'd actually be curious to hear you say a little bit more about that, if we're not jumping in too soon, Vince. Yeah, that's fine. Go for it. Yeah, because I've noticed several teachers in the Tibetan tradition who are just hilarious. And um, so there seems to be something very true about what you're saying. I I just wondered if you had any more to add to uh, humor being a sign of realization or accompanying that. Well, you know, it's it's just a, a longstanding tradition that uh, when you really have a bigger perspective on yourself and can mm. can jump out of the sort of personality demands and aggressions and having to fix yourself in uh, security and satisfy all your wants and needs, and when you jump out of that, you know, it all becomes kind of a play, a show. And if you really can look at yourself with a kind of bemusement. I sometimes tell meditators to put a bemused smile on their mindfulness, you know, so that they're looking as if they're in a, a theater, a great theater of uh, of life. And it's, yeah, it's a longstanding tradition. And, mm. you know, life is so hard, really. Uh, I, I have this routine about it, uh, about the first noble truth and how, I was so relieved to hear the first noble truth <laughs> that life is full of suffering because I realized then that, it, you know, I wasn't being singled out for special punishment, <laughs> you know, that we're all in this together. Yeah. Then, you know, just consider the facts. Okay, let's, let's consider the facts here. 
lay it out for you. Okay, first of all, you didn't ask to be born, or at least you don't remember asking. <laughs> right. And um, everyone who's born is born with this intense desire to stay alive, the survival instinct. So you didn't ask to be born, and you don't want to die. So it's like nature trapped you into this life, right? <laughs> right. And then uh, you don't get to choose the body you're going to inhabit. You know, I don't remember a catalog of choices being offered. <laughs> you know, would you, you like upgrade. to swim? <laughs> would you like to swim, fly, or walk as your primary means of locomotion, or would you like eyes in the front and the back? Or you know, you just you get the basic standard biped mammalian body with a big forebrain. You don't get to choose your personality. You know, the geneticists say that we are all born with a particular temperament to be aggressive or withdrawn or, you know, we have certain temperamental characteristics and the psychologists say that whatever isn't set at birth, whatever part of our personality isn't set at birth, is fully determined long before we have any say in the matter in our early childhood. And uh, that brings me to the uh, fact that we don't get to choose our parents. <laughs> the, the dear ones who will set our lifelong neurosis for us. So, you know, you don't get to choose the body. You don't get to choose your personality. You're not really free to be yourself. You're forced to be yourself. And then you have to feed this body a few times a day in order to keep it alive. That means you've got to work, do some kind of labor type or think or, you know, dig ditches or, or hunt. And you got to fight gravity every time you get out of bed in the morning. You have to fight gravity with every step you take. And to cap it all off, you're not told exactly why you're here or what you're supposed to be doing while you're here. Basically, you just get enough consciousness to know that you do exist and that you are going to die, which you really don't want to do. <laughs> these, are, these are the facts of life. I mean, it's not a pretty picture. As Wavy Gravy says, if you don't have a sense of humor, it's just not funny. <laughs> nice. So that's kind of like, you know, the first noble truth. And, and I think that accepting that makes life so much more simple. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you, you aren't always struggling against what, what the conditions are. You, you kind of accept the fact that you're never going to live happily ever after. Unless, of course, unless, of course, you follow the Buddhist path and are completely... You, you have complete freedom from any identification with yourself, which is, a, as we know, is a near impossible task. Anyway, so that's the bottom line, I guess. Wow. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Sorry to bring you this. I think we're going to end the show right there. No. <laughs> yeah. no, that's great. That's a great point. That's uh, well put. So it seems like another one of your another one of your interests besides you know communicating the Dharma through this sort of lighthearted and humorous and and kind of dark comedic way <laughs> um, is is you have a, a really fascination with science with cosmology and with evolution and I was wondering well one of the titles of your books is called the Big Bang the Buddha and the Baby Boom so I mean the Big Bang is like the first a couple words there, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that fascination and, and how you see it tying in, really, with the Dharma. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I never really liked science that much uh, when I was growing up and in school. I just thought, you know, it was a bunch of facts that uh, 
I had to memorize and, you know, atomic valence and elements. And I, I, I wasn't, I wasn't interested in that much until I realized actually that all those scientific facts were about me. Mm. And I think I really started getting interested in science when I started my Buddhist practice. And as I gained an interest in science, I, I really found, especially biological evolution, was supporting and speaking to the Buddhist uh, insights very powerfully. You know, it really is a, a story of multiple, uncountable causes and conditions mm. leading to your existence in this particular form and with this particular consciousness at this moment. Uh, and the Buddha says some interesting things. Uh, at one point he says, uh, this body is not mine or anyone else's. It has arisen due to causes and conditions. Darwin could have said that, mm. you know. And th there are so many incidents uh, or, or, or examples of how science really informs uh, Buddha Dharma. Impermanence. Oh, boy, there's a big one. Impermanence. I mean, we all kind of understand impermanence on some level, mostly on a gross level. But the physicists are revealing how you know, everything is in complete radical flux. There is no, in, in physics, there is no thing. There's no thingness. Everything is in process. I just uh, read this really fascinating and actually quite funny understanding of, of transformation or impermanence in subatomic physics. Uh, and the Buddha said that things transform millions of times in the blink of an eye. Mm. And so he, you know, he was close. He was down there, you know, just by investigating his own psyche and, and body. And, but in the subatomic world, uh, they consider a blink of an eye like a tenth of a second. Right. And uh, now they are measuring things changing in a millionth of a trillionth of a second, which they call an attosecond. And that's the time it takes, I think, an electron to go around the neutron. Then there's a uh, what they call a, a zeptosecond, which is a billionth of a trillionth of a second. And that's the time it takes a quark to go around an electron or something like that. And it's sort of like a Marx Brothers routine in there. You know, the jokes are coming so fast that you realize that everything is a joke. So when they, when they started measuring things in trillionths of a trillionth of a second, they called it a yoctosecond. <laughs> now, I think the scientists were really understanding how funny this all is because you've got <laughs> Addo, Zepto, and Yocto, you know. It's, it's, these are the Marx Brothers here in the subatomic world. Anyway, it's, it's like they're, you know, talking about impermanence, it, it's radical. It's, it's, it's beyond our comprehension how fast things are changing and how, in some way, unreal things are. Mm. Mm. I mean, there, there, there's lots of examples, but it's really, it's really fun to, to, and interesting to uh, explore how the Buddhist insights and characteristics and philosophy is supported by these, the new understandings of science. Would you say, just while you're speaking, it just occurred to me that in some ways science is kind of an extension of you know, what the Buddha was getting at with the teachings on karma, it's kind of like 
mm-hmm. uh, drawing it out and explaining in more detail, at least in the physical gross realm, like these are the causes and conditions that have been playing out since, you know, the beginning of the universe, if not before mm-hmm. that. Um, what would you think about that? Yeah, I think that's, I think I, I like to think of it that way, although it's, it's certainly not personal karma, you know, it's, it's, it's collective karma, right? Uh, you know, and not, uh, I mean, personal karma, I think, works on an, on another level and, and I don't have any great belief in reincarnation or anything, but I, except in a kind of collective sense, I think karma works through a lifetime and that what you practice and what you do, you know, has consequences in a lifetime, but I don't necessarily, I don't believe, have a great belief that it carries on, but I think there's an impersonal and collective karma that we all inherit, you know, from every, all the beings that have ever lived, we inherit uh, mm. their their collective triumphs and and uh, failures and wisdom, you know. So it's a, yeah, those are really a fascinating concepts to play with. Mm, mm. And it seems like there's even this universe karma, like even pre biological, pre amoeba karma, where the you know something like somehow these planets like kind of coalesced and then like the conditions got right for even life to emerge at all. It's so bizarre. Right, right. Thich Nhat Hanh says, uh, once I was a cloud, once I was a rock, this is not poetry, this is science. This is not a belief in reincarnation. This is the evolution of the universe. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Stancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.